Good morning. I'll be reading scripture this morning as we continue our study in 1 Samuel. I will be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 7, and I'll be reading verse 2 through the end of the chapter. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained in kiriath Jiriam, and all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Sam, Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bales and asterisks and serve the Lord only. Then Samuel said, assemble all Israel in Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And on that day they fasted, and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel was leader of Israel at Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord, our God, for us, that he may rescue us from the hands of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. And while Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and slaughtered them along the way to the point below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Though the Philistines were subdued, and did not invade Israelite territory again. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to her, and Israel delivered the neighboring ter territory from the power of the Philistines, and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as judge over Israel all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he also went back to Ramah, where his home was, and there he also judged Israel, and he built an altar there to the Lord. Pastor Tim. Good morning, everybody. Want to invite our children to Children's Church? I think. <laughs> and... Uh, Kathy's already back there waiting for you. So if you know the way, pretty straightforward. There's one hallway. You can't go wrong. <clears throat> and uh, let's let's open with a word of prayer. <clears throat> how, Lord, um, how grateful we are that we can gather together again, that we get to come together and sing praises to you, pray together, and hear your word. Uh, Lord, what a blessing. And, Father, I want to pray for our government as we have uh, a new House and Senate seated. Uh, Lord, your word commands us to pray for them, uh, to hold them up to you, that we may live quiet and godly lives. So, Lord, would you uh, lead our government and, uh, and guide them in the way that they need to go, Lord, for your glory and for the spread of the gospel in our great nation. 
Father, I want to pray for the Kempels because they're not here with us this morning. And I pray that they're, they're doing okay, that you would continue to strengthen Bob and heal him. Father, I thank you for the time that we've got to spend with Jeannie as she's been out here visiting. We pray that as uh, she returns to New Jersey, Lord, that you'd give her a safe and smooth trip. And Lord, we long to see her again uh, soon, but in your timing and for your purposes. And uh, Lord, I want to pray, uh, especially for um, all of those who've been sick over the last couple of weeks. We've had a couple of families in and out. Thank you for healing them. And we pray that you continue to strengthen us uh, as we slough off the rest of this uh, this pandemic, this illness that's going around. Lord, we know that um, that did not escape your attention. It wasn't something that got past you. And so, Lord, whatever your purpose was in sending a pandemic on the world, we pray that those purposes would be um, would be fulfilled. And Lord, would you be with us now as we turn to your word? Help us to see and to understand what Samuel has for us this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Monday is my day off, my Sabbath. You know, that was one of the discussions that we've had is when does a pastor get a Sabbath? And so for me, it's Monday. So this past Monday, Lisa and I got up early and we went to Santa Clarita. Uh, went, took the dog to the dog park. We went to our favorite coffee shop and we sat, I had two coffees, um, just sat and read for a while. And then we spent some time walking the Paseos that that stretched through there. And uh, it was just a wonderful day. Hopped in the car, headed home. And then Monday night is one of my favorite things to do is Monday night football. So uh, Monday night came and I sat down for what promised to be a fantastic football game. It was going to be the Bills, the Buffalo Bills, 12 and three. They were just playing like a Super Bowl team from the beginning of the season against the 11 and four Bengals. Cincinnati Bengals was going to be a great game. These were two powerhouse teams coming together. And so the game started. And as I was watching, it was turning out that way. It was just two fantastic offenses going against two fantastic defenses. Wonderful fun. Bengals got the ball. They scored a touchdown. The, they kick it off to the the uh, Bills. The Bills drive down, and they didn't get a touchdown. They got a field goal. Ball goes back to the Bengals. The Bengals are doing their drive about two-thirds of the way into the first quarter, and um, the ball was given to uh, T. Uh, no, what was his name? T. Um, throwing a blank. Higgins. Higgs. Yeah, Higgins or something like that. And he he's going with the ball. He gets tackled. Play ends, everybody stands up, and all of a sudden there's a commotion on the field and people circling around and, and the, the, the uh, staff ran out onto the field and we didn't know what happened until they showed a replay. And what had happened was that DeMar Hamlin had tackled Higgins and it looked like a normal everyday tackle. And so when he stood up, he took about two steps forward and fell flat on his back, just fell straight over. And that's when the the, uh, the coaching staff and, and the trainers and everybody ran out on the field. Um, one of the trainers almost immediately started CPR. And it was a, it was terrifying to watch because it didn't look like anything happened. It was it was a normal tackle. But what had happened, it turned out, was uh, Hamlin's heart had stopped. And so they began CPR. And about 10 minutes later, an ambulance pulls onto the field. And they put him in the ambulance and they haul him off to the Cincinnati, University of Cincinnati Medical Center. And they intubated him and sedated him and started working on him. And it was just horrifying. There's been and will be many responses to this. But the one that really struck me was the field was filled with both Bengals and, and uh, Bills players as they knelt down. And they were praying. 
And as they're, they're going back and forth, they left the, the feed on, they're going back and forth with the commentators trying to figure out what are we going to do, what comes next. Um, there was talk there about prayer. They're, we're praying for them. Everybody's praying for them. And usually you think, oh, you know, it's thoughts and prayers kind of thing, but it was more than that. Something different was happening. And the one thing that I saw, I think it was like Tuesday morning, I, I, I saw it in my Twitter feed and it, I didn't like just get misty eyed. I was crying when this happened. And this is um, ESPN, the big cable sports network, did NFL this morning or NFL today, and they're talking about the game and they're talking about what happened. And one of their commentators, Dan Olavsky, who was a 12-year NFL quarterback, said this. So go ahead and play the video. You know, like, this is a little bit different. I heard, I've heard it all day, like thoughts and prayers. And you just heard Sherp and Jonathan Allen say, like, all we can do is pray for them. And I've heard the Buffalo Bills organization say that we believe in prayer. Maybe this is not the right thing to do, but I want it's just on my heart that I want to pray for tomorrow and right, right, right now. Um, I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. Um, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, uh, because we believe that you're God and coming to you and praying to you um, has impact. We're, we're sad. We're angry. Um, and we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray. Truly come to you. We pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar, to be with his family, to give them peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up Damar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. 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 Beautiful. Respectfully. When that happened and the, the players on the field began to pray, there were clumps of people in the stadium gathered together praying the Lord's Prayer. This has been a constant theme with, with DeMar's injury it has been this rise of prayer. And people are doing it publicly. This guy did it on a, on a network naval, or a network cable show. He stopped and he actually prayed. And nobody said anything about it. Nobody dissed him. Nobody, they didn't cut away. And so it's just, it's, I, I don't understand what's happening, but it's incredible. And it wasn't just Monday and Tuesday. This is a video from the Jaguars-Titans game last night. Go ahead and play the next one. What you're seeing now is what Doug Peterson talked about, that we said the whole NFL, our community, came together this week and we talked about this. Four teams coming together in prayer before this game. And they cheered. Now, what is going on? What is happening here? Honestly, I don't know for sure. I'm not sure what's going on. Um, 
this could be something that just kind of comes and goes. It might just be, I don't know. But one of the articles I read this week from the New York Times was talking about Christianity in the NFL. And from the New York Times, it was surprisingly unbiased. It wasn't being dismissive or cruel. It, they were a little, they kind of grasped, grasped their pearls a little bit when, it, when they mentioned that they're evangelicals. There's a lot of evangelicals. But other than that, it was a pretty good article. There are a lot of Christians in the NFL. And now we're seeing them pray on the field, pray out loud during a, a, a sports cast. I mean, it's just amazing. I'm not exactly sure what this means just yet. I don't know where this is going or what's happening. But when we look at 1 Samuel 7 this morning, we're going to get some hints on what might be occurring, what could, what this could lead to, and why I'm hopeful this is a really good thing that's happening. So let's go ahead and take a look. So um, we're beginning at uh, verse 2. And uh, you remember what happened last week was they got the ark back and and um, it was restored to Israel and, and they got settled and, and everything was okay. Um, and now verse two, from the day the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years. So now when I read this first, before really digging in and studying, what I thought was this is talking about 20 years from the time it was returned to when Dad, David in 2 Samuel 6, went and picked it up and took it to Jerusalem. But having now studied this a little bit more, I, I don't think that's what's going on. I think what happened is, is the ark sat outside of Jerusalem for a long time. It's another, I don't know how many years until David shows up, settles Jerusalem, makes it his, his home, and then brings the, the ark in. I think what the author is saying is that it sat there for 20 years before these events happened. So it, it's we have this huge gap of time. We don't know what was going on, but that's where that's where we're at. Is, is the ark is there, and then, and the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Verse three. And Samuel said to the house of Israel, "If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away your foreign gods and the Asherah from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve Him only, and He will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines." Samuel's back. Last time we saw Samuel was chapter three. He just disappeared for this long time. So what was Samuel up to? I don't know. Doesn't say. But I think we can make some inferences here and try to draw out some of what's going on. Now, remember, I've kept saying that where we're at is kind of the end of the book of Judges kind of transitioning in. And so if we look to the book of Judges as a pattern of what's happened, then the pattern that we see from, from Judges is Israel is unfaithful to God. And God sends a foreign power in and torments them and, and oppresses them and, and beats them up. And then eventually Israel gets around to crying out to the Lord. The Lord raises up a judge, delivers them from the hand of the, the bad guys, whoever that is at that time. And then they turn and they worship God and rinse and repeat. The cycle just keeps going. They keep back and forth. And so during this 20-year period, I would assume that the same kind of thing has happened. That when the ark came back, they had some rejoicing, and then they kind of slipped off and, and, and started heading back to Baal worship or, or whoever. And the reason I say that is because look at Samuel's response to them. When they begin to lament, he says, if, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, as in, I've seen this before, you guys, you play at it, and then you come back and you go, and you come back and go. So now this time, if it's real this time, if you are turning to the Lord with all your heart, then get rid of those false gods. Get rid of the, the, um, the gods and the Asherah from you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. That's, that's the hard part here is serve him only. 
And, and if that happens, then he will deliver you once again from the hand of the Philistines. So let's take this apart a little bit. So he says, if you're serious this time, then put away those Asherah and those other gods and serve him only. The hard part here is the only, that one word. It's not serve him, it's serve him only at the exclusion of these other gods. So who, in the context, we know who this is. He mentions later that it's Baal. Um, the the kind of Canaanite deity there, and then the Asherah. And who are these gods? What are they about? Well, Baal was a god of the storm and of fertility, and Ashtite was a god of sexuality, fruitfulness, and a warrior goddess. And so why is it so hard for them to put them away and worship the god and serve the Lord only? Because look at what they're the gods of. To worship them is to worship wealth, because they're the god of fertility. And so how do you earn wealth in these days? Well, your crops come in really strong or your flocks multiply at an exponential rate and you don't lose any. So of course you go to that god. They're, to worship them is to worship wealth, power, right? She was a, a warrior goddess, and sex. So worshiping wealth, power, and sex, does that sound familiar? Does that sound at all like what, what happens today? Those are the three biggies for us, wealth, power, and sex. The reason for that is, is because these are perpetually the inclination of the fallen human heart. They, they are constantly where we bend our will to. That's where we're heading is, is to these things. And that's why they are so eternally um, uh, alluring and drawing is because they go right to the nature of who we are. So when Samuel says to worship Yahweh only, what he's saying is, is it doesn't exclude wealth and power and sex. It doesn't say don't ever have those. It does something far more intimate. What he's saying is have those things in the proper context. And, and that demands their use only as Yahweh has divined them. So there's still wealth, there's still power, and there's still sex. But they have to be within the confines of how God has defined it. That's what it means to serve him only. Because God has set these rules. He said, this, I've created these things as a gift to you, as a, as a wonderful thing. And you should use them well and rightly. And here, let me tell you how to use them the correct way. Baal and Ashtoreth don't have those rules. If you, if you appease them, if you get them excited enough, if you make them happy, they'll bestow those on you without any limitations. Have at it, you guys. Do what you want with them. As a matter of fact, some of these guys were so perverse, the more you distorted and perverted them, the happier the God was supposed to have been. So this is the problem that Israel has is, is they're not like somehow worse than everybody else. They're just like us. But they lived in a world that was overwhelming, overwhelmingly polytheistic at a time that was overwhelmingly polytheistic. And so the temptations were huge. We live in a world that's overwhelmingly materialistic. And so the temptations are huge, but we're not any better or worse than they are. We suffer the same thing. So when Samuel says, serve the Lord only, it's the same call that we have. We have to serve him only and return to him. And then the promise is he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So for uh, Israel, the most often repercussion for their unfaithfulness was a opposition by a foreign nation. Right? You see it in the book of Judges. Um, think of uh, the book of Kings and Chronicles, when they're unfaithful to the Lord, ultimately God sends in Assyria to take out Israel and Babylon to take out uh, Judah. 
it's, that's how he used the nations in those days. And so that, that pattern persists. Faithfulness for a little while, unfaithfulness, opposition, cry, deliverance. It just keeps going in circles for them. So there's some important differences here for the church. We are not Israel in that sense. Um, we don't have a homeland that needs to be defended. We are uh, looking for a, a better city, a city whose foundations were built by God. And so that's what we're waiting for. We're, we're anticipating that. We're not oppressed by the nations. We're sent to the nations. We're dispatched to the nations not to fight war against them, but to make disciples. And so in that time when we're out scattered among the nations waiting for our homeland, that time will include oppression. It will, accrue, uh, uh, it will include opposition, and it will include martyrdom. But they're not a sign of our failure. When those things come, that's not a sign of our failure. They're just precursors to our success. And so they faced the imposition of the Philistines. And what we have is a more subversive mission. We're to go out and make disciples. And, and so that's the struggle that we're in. It's, so if we're, face, if we're facing opposition and, and people making fun of us and, and dismissing Christianity, that kind of stuff, don't sweat it. That's not God being mad at you. It might be, but it, it, it doesn't necessarily equate to it. It could just be, here's what comes before there's a major breakthrough. And so Israel had this promise, if you turn to God, he'll deliver you from these foreign nations. So verse 4, so the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreth, and they served the Lord only. Kind of a summary statement. Here's what it looked like. They responded to Samuel's preaching. And here's the good news. It worked. Samuel's message finally appears to have sunk in. And so Samuel says, gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And this is where this connects with that video and those things that are going on is one of these times of renewal, of revival, it, it, prayer is a huge factor in it. So Samuel doesn't just say, okay, you guys now uh, serve the Lord only, just muscle it up, just try real hard. Instead, Samuel says, gather and I'm going to pray. Let's pray. So Israel had this emergency and they turned to the Lord and so he leads them in prayer. So I don't know if, if DeMar Hamlin's injury was God using that to spark a revival or spark something. I, I don't know. It's too early to, to make any calls. I'm hopeful. I can really hope that that's what happens. But the encouraging thing is this has started not with um, mass confessions of sin. I remember in the 90s, there was kind of a movement happened in the church where they put an open mic in churches and people would come up and confess all their sins. And that was pretty much the end of it because it started with me. Look at what I did. And there was almost a sense of pride at look how bad I was, but now I'm not like that. And, and the focus was on me. The reason that I have hope about what's going on here is because it starts at the right place. It starts with people calling out to God. Even if it's a mess, even if their prayers are just a total wreck, if they don't know exactly what they're praying, God can sort that out. God delights to answer prayer. He loves to. Listen to Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. 
Do you get that, that kind of groping sense there? Looking around, searching, ask, seek, knock. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven good gifts, give good gifts to those who ask him? God delights to answer prayers, even messed up prayers. So whatever's happening there, I have hope because it's starting in the right place. It starts with an appeal to God. It's not focused on me. It's not focused on, on uh, Damar. It's not focused on the emergency crews or the doctors. It's focused on we need to call out to God. However they understand that, he'll sort that out. Um, prayer is the place to start. So look at Samuel. How does Samuel start with Israel? Did he say, um, all right, gather at Mizpah, and we're going to do a very detailed theology discussion about the false gods and the true gods, and we need to get our theology straight. And then once we get that sorted out, then we'll sit down and pray. But you have to get this figured out first. He starts with prayer. So the idea that this kind of revival in Israel could start with prayer, who knows, maybe the Lord could use this to start revival in our land. That, that believers who have been a little more hush or a little more cut off because, you know, the media cuts away when they pray or something. Maybe this is where things begin to turn. I don't know, but I have hope because it starts with prayer. So verse six, so they gathered at Mizpah and they drew out water and they poured it out before the Lord. They fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. They gathered, they poured out water, they fasted, and they confessed. That's not a bad combination. Now, what is this thing about pouring out water? Um, this is the only time it happens in this way in the scriptures, where they gather, and, and it seems to be part of their lament as they're pouring out water. And so I'm not sure what it means. It could mean a beautiful image of them pouring out their tears before the Lord, their cries before him. It, it could be something maybe um, this idea of emptying yourselves, we're going we're gonna to empty ourselves, pouring out water is like emptying those vessels, or maybe it's just a symbol of humility, just kind of spreading yourself out on the, on the ground. We don't know, commentators don't know, but I think it's a beautiful picture. I think it paints a very emotional, emotive kind of image of, of coming before the Lord and just pouring yourself out. So they pour out water before the Lord, and they fasted. And so what is fasting? Fasting is denying yourself food for a period of time. Um, it's, it's not better to fast for, you know, six weeks and never eat food or something than it is for a day. What fasting is, is fasting is praying with your entire body. It is taking something good, something God has given to us. It was pre-fall. God said you can eat of any fruit in the garden except for the one in the middle of the garden. Eating is part of who we are. It's a good thing that God gives us food. He, he sends rain on the just and the unjust. He gives food to the, the righteous and the unrighteous. The birds of the field look to him for food. Food is a good thing. What you're doing when you fast is you say, I'm going to take this good thing, this good gift that God has given me, and I'm going to set it aside for a minute. And what I'm going to do is with every part of my body, all that I am, not just my mind and my soul, but my, my stomach is aching. My flesh is aching for that good thing. And I'm saying, I'm going to put that aside and I'm going to seek something better. I want God in this. Lord, this desire that you've built in me, I want to tune it to you. I want to seek you with my whole being. 
And so that's what fasting is. And, and it can be a form of repentance. It can be a way to lament and say, I'm sorry, because what you're doing is you're trying to focus off of those things that have pleased you and on the Lord. So they, they, they uh, gathered, they poured out water, they fasted, and then in the end, they confessed. Corporately, together, they said, we have sinned against the Lord. Only at the end of that process do, do they enter in and say, here's what we did. Only after they've called out to the Lord, only after they've humbled themselves, only after they're fasting and praying do they say, oh, by the way, this is what we've done. Keep it in context, in the, in the proper order. We have sinned against the Lord. Those are good things. Those are good signs for Israel at this point. And then the next thing it says is, Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. When we think of the word judged, we think of a person in a black robe with a gavel and saying guilty or not guilty or, you know, um, uh, whatever judges do on TV these days. And that's part of what the judges would do in those days is they would decide between uh, opposing people and, and I loaned him my cow and it broke its leg and I think he owes me money and, and the cow came when it was lame to begin with and the, the judge would sit up and say, let me hear your case and decide. That was part of it. That wasn't all of it, though. The other thing that judges would do is they would lead into battle sometimes. That was, that's what we see in the book of Judges is they would say, let's go. Let's go fight this battle. So they were kind of a king before there was a king. And they were only temporary and they weren't there forever. And so Samuel is the end of the judges. He is the last of the judges. This is going to finish that cycle out. Samuel judged the people at Mizpah. And then verse 7 says, now when the Philistines heard of the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So what's going on here? The Philistines had been troubling them. Remember how Samuel started? He said, if you're going to turn, turn away from the, uh, these false gods, then the Lord will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So obviously the Philistines have been troubling them. So maybe the Philistine lords look and say, hey, they're all gathered together. And they're at Mizpah. Now, Mizpah is mentioned in Judges a couple of times. In Judges 11 and 20, that's where they gathered before they went off and fought a battle. So perhaps the Philistines are looking and going, ah, oh, these Israelites think they're going to start a fight. Let's go attack them. Or it could be that they just say, hey, they're gathered in one place. It's easy to attack. Let's, let's get them now. So whatever it is, however the Philistines are thinking, they're ready to go. They're going to attack. This scared the Israelites. They were afraid of the Philistines. So what's the response? How do you respond when you're afraid? Um, usually, uh, some of the classic uh, examples that I could think of were rallying speeches by the king. So King Theoden in The Lord of the Rings, he assembles his troops and gives this awe-inspiring speech to lead them into battle against Saruman's orcs. Or, for example, uh, King Henry on St. Crispin's Day assembles his troops, and he says, we few, we lucky few, we're going to be here, and we're going to have this battle. That's in Shakespeare's Henry V. So is that what we need here? Is that what, what Samuel's going to do? He's going to ride out in front of Israel and go, let's beat them up. Samuel, instead, they, I'm sorry, instead, they cry out to Samuel, and, say, and they tell Samuel, don't cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the Philistines. What they needed first was Samuel to continue praying. Keep praying for us. And so this is that place where prayer is just so central in this story. It's really inspiring. 
And then they said, pray to our God. Now, I wouldn't make too much of a point when it says, pray to your God. Uh, when somebody in Israel says, pray to your God, it's not saying he's your God, not my God. It's it's more of that intimate connection. But but here, when they say our God, who had been their God before? Baal and Asherah. And who's their God now? Yahweh. So it's, it's just a beautiful sign that this is what's happening. So Samuel's response, verse 9, his, his first response is, he took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. The whole burnt offering meant you didn't take like the shank or something like that and boil it and then celebrate and eat it. It meant the whole thing went on the altar and burned up. It was all consumed by the fire. And these whole burnt offerings were a form of atonement. Now, each individual person should have brought a lamb and had them sacrifice, and that would atone for them. But I think Samuel is just saying, let's, let's handle this in one big swoop. It's kind of a beautiful image, and he offers a giant, the biggest uh, sheep they could find, a suckling lamb. This is, this is how much the Lord is with them, is I'm going to make this offering on your behalf. It, it's, I think it's just a beautiful picture. And so he offers this. The next thing that they do is atonement. They have to atone for their sins. They've confessed, and now they make atonement. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. God responded. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. So here comes the battle. What are we going to do? Verse 10. Um, but the Lord thundered a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. So this well-organized army comes marching up and suddenly there is the loudest clap of thunder they've probably ever heard. And it throws them into confusion. Why does it throw them into confusion? Well, don't know for sure, but I do know that Baal was the god of the storm. So this could be read at, by the Philistines as, hey, you know what? Baal is answering us. But how do they know what he's answering? Is, is this a warning for him not to engage? And so some of the people may have scattered and said, no, we shouldn't fight. Or some of the other guys saying, hey, no, this is a sign. Baal is with us and we're going to go and we're going to beat these guys. And so another portion decides they're going to go and attack. Or maybe it was just, this thing is so loud, it's so terrifying, it scared the daylights out of them. But don't forget, they do have an experience with Yahweh. When they put his ark in the temple of Dagon, it didn't go well for Dagon. And so they're familiar. Maybe some of them thought, no, this is Yahweh, man. We, we need to get out of here. We're not going to make it. It throws them in utter confusion. The only way that the armies work is when they're organized. That's why Theodon and why Henry V had these inspiring speeches is to keep the troops in line. And no, no speech here is going to save them. They're scattered. And so they were defeated before Israel. They're thrown into chaos and, and they lose. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. They marched out in the battle and they were victorious. Just as they had, they had uh, asked, Lord, be with us. Just as Samuel had promised, he's going to deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. That's what happened. Verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now, the Lord has helped us. So what's the appropriate response to this, this monumental battle? We need a, mo a monument. And so he sets up a stone and he calls it Ebenezer. 
the stone of help. Now, we've seen Ebenezer before. Uh, that's where they lost to the Philistines. It's probably This can't be the same place because they had previously lost 20 years before to the Philistines, and now he sets up a stone. So it's not the same one. Um, this is a marker, a monument to how the Lord has delivered them. And it says, till now the Lord has helped us. That's how the ESV translates it. The Christian Standard Bible translates it as, the Lord has helped us to this point. And you could read it either way, to this point in time or to this point as in this, this marker in the land. I think that's probably a better translation because it's saying, this is, remember this day, you guys, here's, here's this big monument. Remember this. God helped us to here. How did we get to this point, either in time or in space? How did we get here? Because of that. So that's what I think Ebenezer is there for. It's a monument to remind you of God's faithfulness. We need monuments in our life to remind us of God's faithfulness, too. So then verse 13, so the Philistines were subdued and did not enter again the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities of the Philistines, the cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. Israel uh, delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Good news in the end. It's a good story. Um, how does it connect with us? Again, prayer was so central in that. I, I just have so much hope that this, this movement of prayer that's beginning to start because of DeMar Hamlin's injury might be something great. It might be the beginning of something great because we're calling out to the Lord. And again, we don't have to go out and defeat our enemies or fight our enemies like that. We have a king, we have a judge who's, who's defeated all of them. Jesus beat sin and death and hell, the flesh. He's overcome the world. So we don't have to worry about those enemies. What we have to do is, in prayer and confession, go out into the world and make disciples. That's what he's called us to do. That's the form of our warfare, because he won the big battle. And so if it's true that the Lord would deliver Israel from all her enemies, is it true that Jesus would deliver you from all your enemies? It's even more sure. Because we have not a suckling lamb offered on our behalf. We have Jesus Christ on the cross offered on our behalf. God took on flesh to do this. And so this is, this is the hope that we can have in this. So let me admonish you, pray. Pray a lot. Don't worry if you pray perfectly. Don't worry about your words. Worry about the intention of your heart. If you want help with prayer, there's a book I can recommend by Paul Miller called The Praying Life. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good. Um, and it, it, it just kind of clears out the rubble of having to say these, these perfect idyllic prayers or the idea that I'm praying and my mind wanders and Lord, would you please help? And by the way, what am I doing for lunch today? And, and when am I going to have make that phone? Oh, wait, I'm praying here. Miller says, that's fine. God cares about those things too. Just stop and pray about them and then get back to praying. So pray. And then when we face our enemies, when it's not okay to pray on TV anymore, when people are going to oppress and, and uh, oppose and ridicule us, then you've got this bank built up of prayer and you're ready to keep, keep engaging. So this is the promise that's happening here. This is not the end of Israel's story, though, is it? It sounds like a fairy tale and they lived happily ever after. But that's not the end. There's more to come. And so we, we're looking forward to next week when we get the next part of the story. Let's pray. Because that's what I've been saying all day, all morning, is we should be praying. Um, 
Lord, we're grateful for this example that you give us in Samuel. And um, Lord, uh, the, the promise that you can revive your people, that you will revive your people. That Lord, as we seem to be at our weakest, as our most dependent, Lord, that is when we are actually the strongest because we can only rely on you. And so Lord, would you stir in your church, in your people, and in our nation, a, a, a spirit, a, a movement of prayer. And Lord, we ask that you would answer these prayers. And Lord, through it, you might revive us as a people, as your church, but also, Lord, people that are outside of your church here. Would you bring them to a saving faith in you? We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. <laughs> Thank you.